0: right where we're there in John chapter 7, and on Sunday nights we've been going through a series called By My Spirit, and what it really has been, it's been a systematic study of the Holy Spirit. We've been dealing with some very doctrinal uh, sermons. This is now the seventh sermon in this uh, series. If you remember when we started, the very first sermon was called The Person of the Holy Spirit. We learned about how the Holy Spirit's not a force or an energy, but he's actually a person. And we went through scripture and proved that. The second sermon was about the Holy Spirit as God. Then we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Now, it's the same Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but his role changed a little bit. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, because what I really wanted to preach tonight, what I had scheduled to preach tonight, was I was going to preach a sermon called The Filling of the Holy Spirit. But as I was studying for the sermon on the filling of the Holy Spirit, I realized that in order to really set up the sermon uh, in the context of the filling of the Holy Spirit, you need to, I needed to preach a sermon explaining The difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So next Sunday night I'll preach the sermon on the filling of the Holy Spirit. But tonight we're going to look at the differences in roles between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And let me just go ahead and say this. And I've got I've got kind of a lot of things I need to cover. We're going to look at a lot of passages. It's going to be very much a, a topical Bible study. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. But let me just say this. The main difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. And what that means is that for New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us. For Old Testament saints, this was not the case. And there is a lot of confusion in regards to the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, 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 in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're going to talk about that, and then we'll talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, next week. But let's begin with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit And if you'd like to write some notes down or jot things down, you can uh, write that down as kind of the first point, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And let me begin by saying this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens only for New Testament believers. And we can prove that several ways, but let's just look at it there in John chapter 7. That's where we began tonight, John chapter 7 and verse 37. Notice what the Bible says. It says this, in the last day, that great day of the feast, so this is Jesus, Jesus, at the feast, notice what it says. It says, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So he's giving this analogy of the rivers of living water that are going to flow out of a person who believes on him. But notice verse 39. And John is kind of giving us uh, an editorial note here. He, and, and it's in parentheses, if you notice, verse 39, it says this, but this spake he, talking about Jesus, of the Spirit. So when Jesus said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, John is kind of giving us his commentary and he's telling us, this spake he of the Spirit, notice what it says, which they that believe on him should receive. I want you to notice that's, future tense. It's not yet happening. People are not yet receiving the Holy Spirit at the time when John is writing. He says, this spake he of the Spirit, which they that should believe, that believe on him should receive. Notice, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So here we have a very specific uh, text that tells us that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus is referring to when he's saying, look, he that believes on me, he's going to have the source of life inside of him, inside of his belly shall flow the rivers of living water. John tells us that he's referring to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus has not yet been glorified. Now, we know that when Jesus died and was crucified when he was buried and three days later he rose from the grave at that point he was glorified or in his glorified body and he ascended and it was at that point that he breathed on the disciples and he said receive ye the Holy Spirit so I want you to notice that this is something that wasn't even happening during the ministry of Christ it did not begin until Jesus was glorified now let me say this you're there in John go me to the book of Ephesians so you're gonna go Acts Romans 1st 2nd Corinthians Galatians Ephesians ephesians john acts romans first second corinthians galatians ephesians for new testament believers the indwelling of the holy spirit happens the moment of salvation or at the moment of salvation you are indwelled with the holy spirit of god when you get saved let's look at that from ephesians chapter one and we've talked about this before but let's uh, look at it again just to make sure you get the context and get the full story Ephesians 1.13 says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. So we're, all, we're talking about salvation here. We're talking about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't mean believe like exists that he believed, but mean like you're believing that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, that he is who he said he was, you are trusting in him that's why he says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, notice ye were sealed with that holy Spirit of promise. So I want you to notice the Bible's very clear when you believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise because today the Pentecostals and charismatics they'll say, oh no, you believe. But then getting the Holy Spirit is a different step. It's a different process. They talk about the fact that you got to believe, you got to repent, you got to get baptized, you got to do this, you got to do that, and then you get the Holy Spirit. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, "...in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." So you got the Holy Spirit as a New Testament believer the moment, the uh, hour, the day that you believe. Notice verse 14 which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4. You're there in chapter 1. Just flip a few pages over to chapter 4 and look at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye, as a New Testament believer, notice, are sealed unto the day of redemption. So the Bible is clear That New Testament believers, the moment they got, the moment they believed, they not only received eternal life, they not only were passed from death unto life, they not only were born again, but all of that happened when the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. In fact, you were regenerated, you were quickened, you were given that new man and the new life through the Holy Spirit. So, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens only for New Testament believers. And it actually, and we'll get to this In a sermon in our Ezekiel series, but it actually is part of the new covenant that God made when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth. So we know that there are two major covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. This is why we refer to uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was part of that new covenant system. So New Testament believers get the indwelling and we get it the moment that we believe. But please understand this. And, and go, go back to John, if you wouldn't mind, John chapter 3, and uh, John chapter 3. And here's what you need to understand, and here's what you need to get about the indwelling. The indwelling is a portion of the Holy Spirit, not the entirety of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling is a portion that you get, it's not the filling that you get. When you get saved, you get a portion of the Holy Spirit, you get enough of the Holy Spirit to make sure that you are sealed and preserved and that, that, that you will be redeemed on the day of redemption, but you don't get the entirety of the Holy Spirit. And, and let me explain that and it will make a little more sense as we go along. Notice John chapter 3, verse 34. Notice what the Bible says. Now this is about Jesus. It says, For He, talking about Jesus, whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. Now notice what it says, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Unto who? Unto Jesus. Okay, so I want you to notice what the Bible is telling us here. The Bible is telling us that when Jesus came, God sent him, God the Father sent him to preach his words, and God giveth not by measure, meaning he's not measuring out He's not giving him a portion. He doesn't give the Spirit by measure to Jesus. He says, look, Jesus had the fullness of the Spirit. He had all of access to the power and the might of the Spirit. That's why he was able to do the miracles and the things that he did. And God says, the Bible says, that that God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now, here's the implication. When he says, I don't give... The Spirit by measure to Jesus. The implication is that I do give the Spirit by measure to others. Do you understand? He's saying, look, not everybody gets the fullness of the Spirit. Now, every New Testament believer gets the Holy Spirit. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They get the earnest. We're going to look at that word in a second. The earnest of the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit, but not everybody gets the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He says, now, Jesus, that was different. I don't give Him... He says, God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So the idea is that everyone else does get the Spirit by measure. Now go back to Second Corinthians chapter 1. You're there in John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 1. And let's look at this idea of receiving the Spirit by a measure or in a portion. You get a portion of the Holy Spirit. You get enough of the Holy Spirit to make sure that you will not go to hell. You get enough of the Holy Spirit to make sure that you are sealed, that you are, that, that, that you are identifiable, that you belong to God. But you don't get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Every, every believer gets a portion of the Holy Spirit and gets the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 22. Notice what it says. Who have also sealed us, talking about the Holy Spirit, right? We're sealed and given the earnest. You see that word earnest? The earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The Bible says, it often uses these terms, it says we're sealed and we're given the earnest. We're sealed and we're given the earnest. When you got saved as a New Testament believer, you received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and then you were given the earnest of the Holy Spirit. Now go back to Ephesians. If you're there in Second Corinthians? Just go past Galatians, into Ephesians. We were just there. Ephesians chapter 1. And let me explain to you that term earnest. We've talked about it in this series already, but let's talk about it again. The word earnest Often when we use the term earnest, we are referring to earnest money, right? And here's the definition for earnest money. It is a deposit made to a seller showing the buyer's intent to purchase. Often used in real estate transactions, earnest money may be lost if the buyer backs out of the transaction. And here's what you need to understand. Earnest money is not the full payment. If I walk up and say, hey, I like that house, I want to buy that house, in fact, I want you, seller, to take this house off the market. I don't want anybody else to come by and buy this house. I want to buy this house. I'm going to buy it for this much. Do you agree with that? And they say, yes, I agree with that. I accept that offer. Well, here's the thing. I don't want anybody else taking this house for me, so take it off the market. And the, the seller would say, well, wait a minute. It's going to be 30 days, 35 days, 65 days before you make the full payment for this house. So what I needed to do is I needed to put down some earnest money to show that you're serious because I don't want to take this house off the market if you're not serious. And here's the idea. If you walk away... If you decide to back out of the deal, then I get to keep the earnest money. So the earnest is not the full payment. The earnest is just enough to show I'm serious and I'm coming back. This is what the Holy Spirit is. When you got saved, God gave us the earnest of the Spirit. He didn't give you the fullness of the Spirit, He gave you the earnest of the Spirit just to show I'm interested, I'm serious and I'm coming back. Notice what he says. Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Notice verse 14, Which is the earnest, notice how the analogy of a down payment of earnest money applies, which is the earnest of our inheritance, don't miss this, Until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? He gave it to us as an earnest to show that I am serious. Look, the purchase has not been completed yet. My soul has been saved, but my body is still in sin. My body is still corrupt. The entire purchased possession will happen one day at the, at the resurrection when my body is glorified and my soul is reunited uh, with my body and that new man and the new spirit. But God says, I'll give you my earnest just to guarantee. And look, this is why we believe in eternal security. Amen. Because you say, well, what if God backs out of the deal? Then he loses his earnest. And his earnest is the Holy Spirit. Look, the only way that I'll go to hell as a New Testament believer is if the Holy Spirit comes with me. The only way that I can get condemned and spend eternity in hell is if the whole, if God is willing to walk away from the Holy Spirit and from His Holy Spirit, because He's given the Holy Spirit as an earnest, but an earnest is not a complete or a full. It's just enough to show I'm serious, I'm coming back until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So when we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about something that happens only for New Testament believers or in the New Testament, under the New Covenant. You receive the indwelling at the day of salvation, and it's a portion, not the fullness of the Spirit, but because Jesus got him not by measure, but the rest of us get in earnest, get a down payment. We get a little bit of the Holy Spirit enough to secure our salvation. Now, let's talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, go to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And we need to talk about these kind of separate, then we're going to bring it together and unite them. But I want you to understand that there is a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. They are two different things. Now, let's begin by just kind of defining some terms, all right? Because sometimes there's these terminology that people get confused about. In the Bible, you, you see these different terms used about the Holy Spirit, Sometimes we, hear, we see this term called the filling of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we see the term called the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we see the term of the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to understand. All of those terms are used interchangeably. They are all referring to the same thing. They are referring to the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual in order to do some great, wonderful things for God. Now, next week, in our sermon on the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about some reasons why we might be filled with the Spirit and some things we could do to try to get filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not going to cover that tonight, but I want you to understand that when we're talking about the filling of the Spirit, the coming upon of the Spirit, the pouring of the Spirit, all of those terms are used interchangeably. Now, we could prove that several different ways. I'm going to prove it one way in the book of Acts. Are so you there in Acts 1, want you to notice verse number 8. Notice what Jesus says, this is right before he ascends, uh, and, and he's talking to the disciples, Acts 1.8, he says this, but ye shall receive power, okay? Remember, when we're talking about the filling of the Spirit, the coming upon of the Spirit, the pouring of the Spirit, we're talking about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. We get the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what God has called us to do. Notice what Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after, notice what he says, that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, all right? Now, I want you to understand this. In John, Jesus already told the disciples in his glorified body, receive ye the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. They've already received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but now he's telling them that they're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon them. Notice, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So here he says that you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, what is he referring to when he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait till you receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you? Then you're going to be witnesses unto me. I mean, both in Jerusalem and, and, and Samaria and Judea and, and, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What is he referring to? He's referring to the event that happens in Acts chapter 2. Let's go there. He's referring to the day of Pentecost. We talked about this a little bit this morning. Now, here's what's interesting. In Acts 1 8, he called it the Holy Spirit coming upon you, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he's talking about the event at the day of Pentecost. Here's what's interesting. When the day of Pentecost happens, It's called something different. Notice what what the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house that they were sitting, where they were sitting, verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, verse 4, and they were all, notice the words, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's what's interesting. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait till you get the power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Then when the event happens, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that prove? Here's what it proves. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit are the same thing. It's the receiving of power. It's the receiving, not just the earnest of the Spirit, not just the measure of the Spirit, but receiving the fullness of the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes upon you. Here's what's even more interesting. When the event takes place in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible tells us that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, then Peter attempts to explain this to the people that are watching them do this supernatural work of speaking with tongues, notice verse 14. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. I want you to notice what Peter calls it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that, notice, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter says, hey, what you're seeing happen right now, the day of Pentecost, this was already predicted by the prophet Joel. Now, we could go to the book of Joel and see it, but he quotes it for us. So let's just look at it in verse 17. Notice what he says. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord. Notice, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Jesus said, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait till you be endued with power and ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then when that event happens, the book of Acts, or the writer, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter says, hey, if you're wondering what's happening, this is exactly what Joel, the prophet Joel, said was going to happen when he said that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured upon God's people in the latter times or in the New Testament. So I want you to notice that all of these terms are used interchangeably for the same event. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the pouring of the Holy Holy Spirit, and it's all referring to receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now, you're there in Acts. Go with me to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. You've got Genesis and Exodus, Exodus 31. And let me just say this, and let me show you this from the Bible. The filling or the coming upon or the pouring of the Holy Spirit happened both for Old Testament saints and New Testament believers. This coming upon, filling, and pouring happens in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we already saw where the indwelling happens only for New Testament believers. And Jesus talked about it and John gave us his commentary and said, yeah, but this actually doesn't happen until he's glorified, right? And then we see Jesus, when he is glorified, breathe upon the disciples and say, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And if you match that story up to the other Gospels, that's when the Bible says that the scales came off their eyes and they were able to see and understand the things of the Word of God, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, is he guides you in all truth. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, we don't see the indwelling, but we do see the filling, the coming upon, the pouring. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at it. Exodus 31. Look at verse 1. Exodus 31 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 13. Notice what it says. And I have filled him. With the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass. This is here we see where an individual had not only been given a gift of the Spirit, the ability to do certain works that he was going to be able to do for the tabernacle, to build the tabernacle. But the Bible says that, the Bible says in verse three, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So here we have an Old Testament saint who's been filled with the Spirit, but not indwelled by the Spirit. He's been filled with the Spirit, but he does not have the earnest of the Spirit or the sealing of the Spirit. And that's just one example. We can look at other examples, but let me show you some examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals. Go to uh, Judges chapter 3. You're there in Exodus. You're going to go Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So in Exodus, we saw in Old Testament being filled by the Spirit. And in Acts 2, we saw New Testament believers being filled by the Spirit. In Acts 1, we saw Jesus tell the New Testament believers that you're going to receive power and the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. Now let's look at some examples of Old Testament saints having the Holy Ghost come upon them. Judges chapter 3 and verse 9. Judges chapter 3 and verse 9. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them even Othniel. Othniel is the first judge in the book of Judges. And the Bible says that God raised up Othniel to deliver the children of Israel. Notice what it says, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, verse 10, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan-Rish-thaim, uh, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and the hand uh, and his hand prevailed against cushan rish so I want you to notice that here the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. Go to Judges chapter 6. We can look at this in a lot of places. Let's just look at it in Judges since we're there. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord, Judges 6, 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezar was gathered after him. Go to Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Remember, Jephthah was one of the judges. The, Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mispeh of Gilead, and Mispeh of Gilead. He passed over unto the children of Ammon. Go to Judges 13. Look at verse 24. Judges 13, verse 24. And a woman bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Notice verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. Talking about Samson. At times, in the camp of Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. Whenever Samson had that supernatural strength to do the battles that God had called him, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. Later on, it tells us, in fact, let's look at it, Judges 14, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Judges 14, look at verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, talking about Samson, And he went down to Ashkelon, and slew 30 men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as a friend. I want to just read that verse to show you that we're talking about Samson. So in verse 19, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, upon Samson. Judges 13 says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Judges 11 says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. We saw that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So I want you to notice, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord came upon individuals, and individuals were filled with the Spirit. In the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon individuals, and people are filled with the Spirit. These are both talking about the same thing. The difference is, That in the New Testament, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another thought on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is this, that the filling or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit is not permanent. It happens from time to time. It is temporary. Now, if you walk in the Spirit, you can maintain it for a long time. In fact, you can maintain it for a lifetime. But it's not guaranteed to be this thing where once you have it, you have it. Once you got the power of God, you'll always have the power of God. No, you can have the Holy Spirit come upon you for certain tasks, or you can live in a certain way that allows you to just continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is something that can be lost. There's a major difference between the filling of the Spirit and the indwelling. The indwelling of the Spirit cannot be lost. If you lose the indwelling... Then God loses the Holy Spirit because it's the earnest of your salvation, but the filling and the power can be lost. Let's look at let's look at an example of that. You're there in Judges. Go to Judges 16. Let's continue on with Samson. Look at verse 18, Judges 16, and verse 18. And when Delilah saw that he talking about Samson had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying. Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. And the Lord of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Obviously, Samson is in a backslidden state here. He's doing things that God specifically told him not to do. Notice verse 20. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. He's very confident. He's had the power of the Holy Spirit from birth. He's kind of a unique individual where the angel appears and, and, and predicts his birth and says he's going to be called Samson, and he's going to partake of the Nazarite vows, but he's going to have the Nazarite vows, not just for a short time. He's going to have it for his whole life, and as long as he has it, he has the power of God, but he's walked away from those Nazarite vows. He's broken every single one of them, and he broke the last one by having his hair cut off. That's one one part of the Nazarite vow, and Samson wakes up from his sleep on Delilah's lap, and he thinks, well, I'm just going to get up and just kind of Roar and flex my muscles and grunt like I have before. I'm just going to get up and, 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 and get up and, and go out as at other times and shake myself. Notice the last part of verse 20. And he wist not. The word wist means to know, to have knowledge. He knew not that the Lord was departed from him. You say, well, why is that? Here's why that is. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and the filling of the Holy Spirit can be lost. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the earnest of the Spirit will never be lost. But the power of the Spirit can be lost. Let's look at some other examples. Go to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. You're there in Judges. Go to the book of, you're going to go past the book of Ruth to the book of 1 Samuel. I know we're looking at a lot of references, but we kind of need to with this type of study. 1 Samuel 16, you got Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, and look at verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says. But the Spirit of the Lord... Now, here's what we didn't read. Earlier in 1 Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Now, in verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So I want you to notice that Saul lost the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did Saul lose his salvation? No. Nobody loses their salvation. Salvation is not based on you. It's not based on works. Saul's in heaven. Saul went to heaven. If you remember, when Samuel appeared to him, he said, Hey, you're going to die, and you're going to be with me. And Samuel was in heaven. But he did lose the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Look at verse uh, 13, same chapter, just the, the previous verse. Notice what it says. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, oil is an emblem or a picture of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, and anointed him, he's anointing David, in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord, notice, came upon David From that day forward, so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Bible tells us that David was another one of these special cases where he had the Spirit of the Lord his whole life. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand something, that David was aware of the fact that he could lose the power of the Holy Spirit, he could lose the filling of the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't lose his salvation, he wouldn't lose his uh, place in heaven, but he could lose the power of the Holy Spirit. Go to uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, you're there in 1 Samuel. You're going to go past 2 Samuel, past 1st, 2nd Kings, past 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Now, in Psalm 51, we have that famous psalm of David. Remember David? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he conspired to have her husband killed. And Nathan, remember, Nathan shows up. And he puts his finger in David's face and he says, Thou art the man. And he calls him out on his sin. And David repented of that major sin in his life. Psalm 51 is the psalm that he wrote as he was confessing his sin to God and getting right uh, with God. In fact, you know what? I was going to read a few verses for you, but let me just read more than what I have here in my notes. Psalm 51, notice what the Bible says there in verse number one. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So notice, he's confessing to God. He's acknowledging his sin. Skip down to verse 10. Notice what he says. Create in me a clean spirit. He's getting right with God. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. Notice what he says. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You say, why is David praying that God not remove the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit of God came upon David when he was anointed to be king. But David understands that because of this grievous sin in his life, God can take the Spirit away from him in the same way that he took the Spirit away from Saul, in the same way that he took the Spirit away from Samson, in the same way that the Holy Spirit's power can come upon you and can leave you. You can be filled with him and he can leave you. And here David is saying, hey, take not the Holy Spirit from me. Now, people will point at this and say, see, David thought that he could lose his salvation. But notice what he says. He says, I can lose the spirit. He says, don't take the spirit from me. Keep in mind, Old Testament say, no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The only Holy Spirit relationship with man in the Old Testament is that he comes upon you, he fills you, he empowers you to do great things for God. He, David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But does David think that his salvation is in question? Well, look at verse 12. And restore unto me, notice what he says, the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now look, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, restore unto me thy salvation. He never lost his salvation. He didn't say, God, restore your salvation. He just said, restore the joy of thy salvation. Say, why would he say that? He said, "I I didn't lose my salvation." You know, you 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 won't lose your salvation, but you can lose your joy. Sin will take your joy away. Sin will take your peace away. Sin will take the rejoicing away. David is not afraid to lose his salvation. David believes in eternal security. But he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. But in verse 11, he says, take not thy Holy Spirit. He's well aware of the fact that God can take away the Holy Spirit from him. You say, why? Go to Second Corinthians chapter 6, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You say, why? Here's why. Because throughout the both Old and New Testament, the Holy Spirit has a work of empowering people. And that's called the coming upon, that's called the filling, that's called the pouring. And by the way, and I don't want to get down this rabbit trail, but the Holy Spirit could even come upon people that aren't even saved. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Balaam. And there's a lot of, you know, controversy as to whether Balaam was saved or not. I will tell you this, I don't believe Balaam was saved, and I think Balaam might have been a reprobate. Balaam is mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2, and Jude 1, and if you're familiar with those passages, those are two major uh, passages in scripture, those are parallel passages in scripture about false reprobate prophets, and Balaam is mentioned with them, he's mentioned with Cain, he's mentioned with Korah, we know Cain wasn't saved, we know Korah wasn't saved, he went down into the pit, remember, God opened up the earth and he went straight into hell, Cain wasn't saved, and Balaam is mentioned in that trio of false prophets. I think Balaam was a reprobate, but even if you don't think he was a reprobate, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to say that Balaam was saved. Here's what's interesting. The Holy Spirit came upon Balaam, and he prophesied. Here's what's interesting. Caiaphas, the high priest, who was an instrumental uh, uh, person in the conspiracy to crucify Christ, the Bible says that he prophesied not of himself meaning the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. So here's what I want you to understand. Not only is the Holy Spirit coming upon someone not connected to the indwelling of the Spirit, it's not even connected to salvation. God had certain kings do certain things in the Old Testament before they were saved or if they might not even be be saved like Cyrus, like Nebuchadnezzar. The Holy Spirit... And the filling of the Spirit can actually come upon just anyone who God decides to. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that is something that's only for New Testament believers, and that is connected to your salvation, and that is your security in salvation. So we talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What is it? It happens only for New Testament believers under the New Covenant. It happens at the moment of salvation, when you believe you were sealed, With the Holy Spirit of promise. And it is a portion of the Spirit, not the fullness of the Spirit. It is the earnest of the Spirit, not the complete power of the Spirit. Then we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We learn that the filling, the coming upon, the pouring are used interchangeably. They all have to do with God giving you His divine power to accomplish and do great tasks for Him. We learned that that can happen in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we learned that it is not connected to the indwelling or even salvation. Now let's talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And let me just say this, if you want to write some of these statements down. There was a change with the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Honestly, when I started this series, we announced that I, I announced that I was going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, somebody walked up to me, uh, actually, you know, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but Brother Scott walked up to me, and he said, hey, Pastor, I have a question about the Holy Spirit. And he said, I know that in the New Testament, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and the Old Testament saints were not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Is there a reason for that, or does the Bible give a reason as to why in the New Testament, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and in the Old Testament, they were not? And when he asked me the question, I really didn't have an answer for him. And I just, and and I didn't really never heard anybody give an answer for it. I never heard a pastor really have a good, definite answer. But over the last several weeks as I've been studying the Bible, something became um, very apparent and clear to me, which I think is the answer to the question. So let's talk about why is there a change between the Old Testament and the New Testament where Old Testament saints were not indwelled and New Testament saints are indwelt. Well, let's look at the passage that the, 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 the main passage that teaches the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number 16. 2 Corinthians 6 16. The Bible says this, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye, notice what it says, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. And walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, this is a New Covenant passage, a New Testament passage. This was a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. A major change from the Old Testament to the New Testament is that God said that in the New Testament, we as believers are the temple of the living God and he will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus 25. You have Genesis and Exodus, Exodus 25. And let me say this. The reason for the shift between the indwelling of believers from the Old Testament to the New Testament is because there is a shift between the temple in the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, there was a physical building. At first, it was the tabernacle, a tent that was built for the sacrifices of God. Eventually, that was made into a physical building called the temple. In the New Testament, there was a shift made where we no longer care about a physical building called the temple, but God says that you, your body, is a temple of the Holy Ghost, and He's going to indwell you, and He's going to live in you and walk with you, and we will be His people, and He will be our God. Here's what's interesting about the temple. The temple in the Old Testament was always indwelled by God. Exodus 25, look at verse 21. In Exodus 25, we have the story of the building of the tabernacle when God had them build the tabernacle. Exodus 25, verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. So if you remember, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but he's telling him how to build the furniture that's going to go inside of this building called the tabernacle, which would eventually be the temple. And part of the building is that he wanted them to build an ark, a box, and it had certain special things in it. And he wanted that ark to go into the innermost part of the tabernacle, the inner room called the Holy of Holies. And he wanted them to put a mercy seat, a throne on the top of the ark. Notice verse 21. And also put the mercy seat above upon the ark, And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. God's word was there. Verse 22. And there I will meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So in the tabernacle, they always had this ark that represented the presence of God. And God said that He he wanted them to put a mercy seat there. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, he would literally meet with God. God said, I will meet with you there. And the tabernacle and the temple always had the indwelling of God in the physical building. Here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, the building, the tabernacle, temple, was always indwelled by the presence of God. But from time to time... The building was filled with the presence of God. Let me show it to you. Go to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Look at verse 34. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Exodus 40, 34 says this. Then a cloud. Remember when they were in the wilderness, the cloud represented the presence of God? Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. Talking about the tabernacle that they built. Notice. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon notice and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so the tabernacle was always always had the indwelling of God through the ark of the covenant but from time to time it had the filling of God where the entire building was filled with the glory of God where Moses and the Levites and the priests couldn't even go into the building because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's fast forward a little bit. Find all those one and two books 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. They're all clustered together. 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's fast forward to the building of the temple. When they built the physical structure that took place of the tabernacle called the temple, it had a holy of holies, it had the ark of the covenant, it had the indwelling of God. But from time to time, it had the filling of God. 1 Kings chapter 8, look at verse 10. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant... They had a physical building called the tabernacle or the temple. And that's where the presence of God was. And if you wanted to worship God, you had to physically go to that tabernacle, to that temple, make your sacrifices there, because that's where the indwelling of the presence of God was. It was always indwelled by God, Through the Ark of the Covenant, but from time to time, it would be filled with the glory of God. It wasn't always filled with the glory of God, it was always indwelled. In the New Testament, the shift happens because now we get rid of the temple, and you become the temple, and I become the temple. And now the Holy Spirit indwells me because I'm the temple, and from time to time, I can get filled with the Spirit of God. So the shift between why New Testament believers are indwelled in the new, uh, by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and Old Testament saints were not indwelled by the Holy Spirit has more to do with the shift in the temple, the fact that the, the, the temple was always indwelled by the Spirit of God and it would be filled with the power of God from time to time. But in the New Testament, you and I became the temple. And now, I don't need, I don't need to go to a priest. I don't need to go to. I don't need to go to a certain land. I don't have to go to a physical place. I don't have to go to, and, and to, to some voyage, to some pilgrimage, to go to a certain location to meet God there. I've got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me. Hey, I don't need any man to mediate between God and, and man. I can go. Look, before you have to go to the priest and the priest will mediate for you at the temple. Now we are priests. We are kings and priests unto God and His Father. Why? Because you got the Holy Spirit of God. And the shift happened. The shift happened with the shift in the temple. So if you want to ask the question, why do New Testament believers get indwelled? It's not because you're special. It's because the new covenant made you the temple. And when you became the temple, you got the indwelling of the temple. And from time to time, you can have the filling of the temple. Now, next week, next week, I don't want you to miss next week's sermon because next week we're going to continue talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit and we're going to talk about reasons why someone might be filled with this Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit come upon them. and more importantly than that we're going to talk about things that we could do to, to be conductive to be able to maybe uh, be available to have the filling of the Holy Spirit but you need to understand this about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament he came upon He filled and He was poured upon individuals. Sometimes they weren't even saved. And it had to do with the power of God's Spirit coming upon that individual. That power, that filling, that pouring could be lost. In the New Testament, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You'll never lose that. But look, you can have sin in your life. You can walk in such a way where the Holy Spirit cannot use you. The Holy Spirit cannot fill you. The Holy Spirit cannot empower you. And we're going to learn about that and talk about that next week. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these uh, principles, Lord. And thank you for the fact that you just give us, you gave us the, the Holy Spirit to be able to learn and study and understand Scripture. And Lord, we just thank you For the Bible, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.